We've seen the miraculous outpouring of the Spirit, and now they have a new mission to make the name of Jesus Christ known. And so I want to turn to Acts chapter 3. I'm going to read the entire chapter as Peter and John bring miraculous work through the Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that he has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the, you are heirs of the prophet and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Let me pray that God would apply his word into our lives. Father in heaven, we thank you for the hope of the gospel, for the good news that Jesus came to die in the place of sinners. And so, Father, I ask that you would bring us comfort through the power of your word. Lord, we come today in in sadness, in sorrow, in despair. Our hearts cry out for justice. Father, we pray today for the family of George Floyd, for his friends who mourn, 
for his community who has lost at his death one whom they loved, a man made by you in your image. Father, I pray that you would help us in our own communities, that we would point one another to the hope of the gospel, that where our sins have been exposed, we would be quick to ask forgiveness. Where our wickedness is on display, Father, that you would change our hearts, and that you would use us to make the gospel known to all peoples on earth. Father, we come in desperate need. We come as those who who have questions, who have fears, who have doubts. And so we come asking for your blessing upon us through the reading and preaching of your word. Father, we come in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It was Midsummer's Day, and they needed all the available daylight to cram the match in. It eventually finished just before 9 p.m. After Roy Fredericks trod on his wicket and he hooked Lily out of the ground, Clive Lloyd took up the fight in memorable fashion, crunching 12 fours and two sixes in his 102. An eventual 291 for eight looked too hot for Australia. The early batsman kept trying quick runs to Viv Richards. He kept running them out. At 233 for nine, it seemed over. But the last pair, Jeff Thompson and Lily, inched the Aussies to within 18 of victory before the fifth runout ended the fun. All right, now you feel the excitement in that description of a sporting match. But for most of us, those words sounded like nonsense. Unless you were a fan of cricket, you didn't understand what was happening. To be fair, I have no idea what just happened. Except that that's the description of the most important, the the most famous uh, cricket World Cup final match ever played. Now, if you want to know the details and the outcome, if you, if you need to, to, to follow along with the box score at home, then you would know that the West Indies in 1975 beat Australia. Well, a huge lead they, they took out until Australia got down to the, to the very end. But see, with, even if we had seen the events play out, you know, maybe you grew up in a part of the world that plays cricket or you're just a fan of, of international sports, and so maybe that all made sense to you and you can you know, email me later this week to explain how I even mispronounced some of the things I was trying to read just right off a page. But, but unless you were there, unless you understood the game, you would need to have the events interpreted for you. You would need to know the, the names of the men, the positions they played, the, the, the point of the, the game. You'd probably need to know something of the history of these teams leading to this point. You might even need to know something about the geopolitical activities taking place in the world and what it meant for not just the players involved, but for the nations involved. See, sometimes even to see something happen isn't enough. You can miss the significance of what takes place. Even if you hear all about it, but you don't understand it. And see, when we get to Acts chapter 3, the events that take place are pretty straightforward. Peter and John see a man who has been crippled from birth. A man who is known in the community as one who is carried there to beg. And then a miracle takes place. And yet even seeing the miracle, even witnessing what had taken place, the the people there, they don't understand. It's why Peter has to begin with a a question, his sermon here in Acts chapter 3. When Peter saw the people come rushing to him to figure out what's going on, he asks them this question, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? He's essentially asking them, 
What did you expect was going to happen when the Spirit of God was poured out on the church of Jesus Christ? What were you waiting for with the resurrection of Jesus, his ascension into heaven as the true and eternal king? What did you expect? Why do you stare at us, Peter says, as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? See, when we read the account that takes place here in Acts chapter 3, the human characters are pretty straightforward. Peter and John, two of the prominent apostles, those who had followed Christ during his earthly ministry, witnessed his resurrection and been sent by Jesus. And then a man who had been crippled his entire life, a man who needed the help from his community to even get to the place where he could beg, and then needed to rely on the generosity or perhaps the pity of others in order to survive. And yet Peter right away says, no, 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 what, what you're seeing isn't about me and John. Peter says what you're seeing isn't even about this one man who's been miraculously healed by faith in the name of Jesus Christ. What he's, what he's saying is, in all of this, he's pointing us to Jesus himself. Jesus, the one who is at the center of the story. Not physically present here in the events that take place in the, in the colonnade here at the temple in Jerusalem. But Jesus is spiritually present by the power of his Holy Spirit at work in his own apostles. And so let's take a little bit of time, not, not to try and understand everything that is said here in, in Peter's sermon, for, for we could repeat this sermon. We could pull out th- details for, for week upon week. And those of you that are, that are paying real close attention, you might notice that two years ago during the Easter season, we preached from this passage here at Faith, when we were looking at the preaching of the apostles in the hope of resurrection. But what I want us to do this morning is look at the central character Jesus Christ. And notice how Peter turns our attention to him, drawing from the prophets of the Old Testament, pulling the the titles normally reserved for God alone and applying them to Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus who had died on the cross and who was raised from the dead. And so let's look at the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus is described by, by Peter in verse 13 as the servant, as God's servant, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, looking back to the Old Testament, to the patriarchs who had been chosen by God, Abraham, given that promise that we read even in this passage down in verse 25, that it was to Abraham that God had made the promise that through this one man, this one man's family, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And Jesus is introduced to us here as God's servant. Now, that's familiar language to us in church, for we think of the ministry of Jesus Christ. But, but consider that that description, that title, one who serves, one who gives his life to another, is given to Jesus, the true Son of God, the great and glorious King. But it's language that would be understood by these men of Israel, these men and women who had grown up hearing the Jewish scriptures, hearing the prophets read to them. They would understand this language of a servant. And know that it described not merely a man, but the one whom God would send. And so we can think of it when we hear these words in Isaiah chapters 52 and 53, describing God's servant. Because you notice in Acts 2, Peter says he is his servant. The servant belongs to Jesus. Who is he serving? He's serving his God in heaven by serving us. 
And so it's the language of God's servant taken from Isaiah 52 and 53. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, we read, God himself speaking, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Do you hear the, the, the tension, the surprise there? That God is sending his own son to be a servant. Unexpected because he comes from heaven to serve others, but then it's reversed as well. The surprise is, is double. And then this servant who is humiliated, brought low, will be raised up, lifted up, highly exalted. And that's exactly the language that Peter is using in his sermon here in Acts chapter 3. This spontaneous sermon that takes place as a result of the miracle that's happened here. He describes that God has sent his son, the one who is raised up from the dead, the one who is exalted into heaven. Jesus is the true suffering servant promised by the prophets. And so we have hope, Peter tells us in verse 19, that when we turn to God, verses 19 and 20, that we have hope that when we repent, our sins may be wiped away, washed clean. And so there's hope for us when we come to Jesus. Because this suffering servant didn't come and merely take a bowl and a towel and wash his disciples' feet. He did more than that. He did what Isaiah 53 told us he would do. He went to his death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. See, when Peter and John go to the man, who is in desperate need of financial help. A man crippled from birth, dependent upon the generosity of others. They don't have gold and silver, but but Peter says, I have something greater than that. I have Jesus himself to offer to you. Jesus, the servant of God, who washes away your sins. So we may feel like we have very little to offer the world in times of crisis. We may feel like I don't have all the answers. I don't, I'm not in a position of, of enough power to solve the problems around me. But what we have, we can give. Don't you see that's what Peter and John are saying? The kingdom of God is coming. But it will one day come in its fullness. And how do we spread the kingdom of God? How do we fulfill these promises? By making the gospel known. And so Peter describes Jesus, the Son of God, as a servant. But he continues, look at, look at how he continues in verse 13. That this servant, God's servant, was handed over to be killed. That the people disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. And now verse 14 describes Jesus. It says, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. Again, Peter connecting to the historical events of Jesus' arrest. The people wanting Barabbas, the convicted murderer, to be set free in the place of Jesus. Now in my Bible, it capitalizes here in the sermon, this description of Jesus as the holy and righteous one. Because again, Peter is drawing from the Old Testament prophets to describe who is Jesus. He is the one who is holy, who is perfect. He is the holy one of God. We saw in his sermon in Acts chapter 2, that Peter quoted from Psalm 16, that God would not allow his own Holy One, Jesus, 
to see decay. And so he raised him from the dead. And that language of the Holy One is language describing God himself. And so Jesus in our midst is the perfect and righteous one. And that language of righteousness is is brought forth here in Acts chapter 3. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One. You asked that one who was unholy, who was unrighteous, be set free. And so it's here, seeing Jesus as the Righteous One, that we might today find hope. Because we as a community mourn the death of George Floyd. We hear our brothers and sisters in our neighborhoods crying out for justice, for racial, racial justice. And now it might seem, seem, seem trivial, and maybe, maybe you feel like, Kevin, you should just keep your mouth shut. What do you know? You're standing there in the safety of your, of your suburban pulpit, a white man with great privilege. And it's true. But this is a place where God has put me in a position of power where the words of gospel hope need to ring forth into our community. And so, th- so what I say today is not meant to be a final or full or complete answer, but it's a reminder to us that when we cry out for righteousness, where can we find it? You won't find it in me. You won't find it in Peter and John. We find it only in Jesus Christ, God's holy and righteous one. And so it means at the big picture level, you and I who are in positions of power, need to use our voices for the cause of righteousness so that justice and goodness and truth will ring out. We need to look at at injustice, the death of George Floyd at the hands of, of evil policemen and call it sin. And I know many of you serve in places where you use your power for the good of others in our community. You serve on the front lines. We have first responders and men and women who pursue righteousness and justice in their positions of authority. Continue to do that. But maybe you feel helpless. Maybe it's, it's starting with, with something small with a relationship, with an admission that the pain that we see around us is real and it's true and it must be recognized. But don't you see that the very response, the very cry of our hearts for justice points us to to the need for one who is greater than we are. For our own solutions won't be enough. My own answers won't be enough. But I have this longing. You have this longing for justice in your heart. And this longing should point us to one who is bigger than we are, one who is greater than we are, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so you might sit back and say, say, but Kevin, I'm just not even sure I can believe in God, especially in a time like this, where injustice mounts on the, t- on the, on the top of, of, of a global pandemic where, where my heart feels broken, where our community feels broken. How could you believe in a God in a time like this? And I want to tell you that this is exactly the moment that your heart cries out and tells you that you too believe there is justice and righteousness that must be pursued. And so when you are honest, it means there is one who is bigger than you, greater than you, the standard of righteousness and justice. The very brokenness of the world around us points us to the need for it to be fixed and restored. And that's exactly what God is telling us here that he's going to do. Why do we need to repent? And some of us need to repent individually of our personal sins. Why do we need to repent? It's because we have sinned against God, but what does God promise us? He promises a time, verse 19, of refreshing. A season in which we can breathe with hope and joy because we have power 
in the gospel. Not in us, but in who Jesus is. But it's not merely that we're waiting for these times of refreshing. Now we're waiting for Jesus to return. Because verses 20 and 21 describe what Jesus is doing now. Jesus, who is the appointed one, the Christ, is now, verse 21 tells us, in heaven. And he must remain in heaven until the time comes for him to restore everything, as he promised long ago. And so the longing of our hearts for refreshing, for restoration, is promised to us in only one place, in Jesus Christ. And so it may not seem like enough of an answer today, but it's a place for us to start. If you long for justice, then turn to Jesus. Repent of your sins and offer this gospel refreshment to a world in need. Now, we can't stop there, of course. We must pursue justice in our society, in our systems, in our, in, in our communities. But we must start here. And so we turn to the Holy and Righteous One. Jesus is described in verse 15 as the author of life. The one who made each one of us in his image. And yet what happened to this author of life? Verse 15, you killed the author of life. That's a tragic verse, but thankfully it doesn't end there. There is not a period there. There is a comma. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And so this is our hope. Jesus, the author of life, is the resurrected one. The king, our savior. He is described in verse 18 as the Christ. As God's Christ. My Bible gives me a little footnote that tells me that in Hebrew that would be Messiah. Jesus the Messiah. It's repeated for us again in verse 20. That Jesus is the Christ. The one sent by God to reign as king. Jesus is the one who reigns with all power and authority. And so in his ascension into heaven, he reigns as the king, the king who had come to earth to die in our place, who has all power and authority, the one who brings refreshment through the forgiveness of sins, who promises the restoration of all things. This is exactly what God had said would happen. It has come true in Jesus Christ. See, and there's surprising reversals throughout this passage. That the servant has been exalted. That the holy and righteous one was betrayed and traded for one who was unholy and unrighteous. That the author of life is killed. That the Christ gave himself for us. And so it demands from us a response of faith. Putting our trust in Jesus Christ. That's what we're told in verse 16. That it is by faith in the name of Jesus If you want to understand what's taken place here, Peter says, it is because of Jesus Christ that this man can walk. And so place your faith in him, your trust in him, your hope in him for now and for eternity. It is Jesus' name, verse 16, and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. We're told that we must come to God in faith and also repentance. Verse 19 says, repent and turn to God. It's describing for us what the, what the words mean, that we, we repent is to be, have been going one way and to admit that we were going the wrong way, and then we turn back to God and find hope in him. 
It's repeated for us at the very end of Peter's sermon in verse 26. That God raised up his servant. Again, the surprise that the servant has been exalted. He sent him to you to bless you by churning each of you from your wicked ways. Again, that imagery of repentance, of churning back to God. And so that's what's demanded of us today. In the temple courts, the man was begging, hoping for money. He got that which he could not have expected, a miracle, physical healing, the outbreaking of refreshment and restoration in the midst of history. Peter and John didn't have the money to change the man's life, but what they had, they gave to him. Jesus Christ. And so in a day of desperate need, when we are longing for wholeness and righteousness, we have only one place to turn. We've seen it. The evidence of it right here. Jesus, exalted, raised from the dead. And so what, what they have, what Peter and John have, is offered to you today. Jesus the Christ. Brothers and sisters, we may not have simple answers to the big problems we face, but what we have, we should give. Because this is a message that was meant to go to everyone, everywhere, and what we have is Jesus. Jesus, the true Son of God. Jesus, God's servant. Jesus, the Holy One. Jesus, the Righteous One. Jesus, the author of life. Jesus, God's Messiah. Jesus Christ is your king. Bow your knee to him today. Let me pray that God would apply his word to our hearts. Father in heaven, in our longing and in our brokenness, we come to you knowing that we need much more than the words of a preacher. We need the resurrection that comes through Jesus Christ. We need his restoring work to be done in our world. We long for the day when Jesus Christ will return. And so we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Lord, help us to pursue righteousness in our community. Help us to point people to the hope of Jesus Christ. Help us to be those who will repent where our arrogance has left us cold-hearted to those in need. Father, we come to you through Jesus our Savior. We come in the power of your Spirit poured out on us. We come in the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Holy One, Jesus our Savior, Jesus the author of life, Jesus the resurrected and living King. We come putting our trust in him, asking for his transforming work in our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, Amen.